the of this episode, I was thinking to talk about something which I think is actually going to be a very natural uh, progression from what we talked about last week. Uh, last week we talked about um, Tikkun Olam and you know the big picture of Jewish, the Jewish perspective, the universal vision for what we're trying to do, what the goal is, and how that plays out, uh, and what the ramifications are. So today I want to deal with kind of the natural extension uh, of that discussion. And that is, okay, so let's say we did the, the Tikkun Olam. Like, what, what, what's the end game? You know, what is the progression afterwards? Okay, so, so, so if, if, if we're here for a purpose, and that purpose is to fix the world, and the world's broken because we don't see God, and we fix that by bringing God into the world, okay, so what happens once we do that? Like, what do we do with a fixed world? Like, what happens then? You know, um, and, and I think that a lot of the topics that we'll be discussing today are things that we're all familiar with, at least terms, uh, terminology-wise, uh, but uh, definitions are somewhat uh, not as prevalent uh, as familiarity with terms. Uh, and additionally, like, there's a lot of confusion in a lot of these areas uh, because you hear something about, let's say, uh, reincarnation, or you hear something about Mashiach, or you hear something about Olam Abba, and here's something about Gan Eden. All these terms that maybe you're all familiar with, maybe yes, maybe no, uh, but you hear that. You hear about Chiyat HaMetim, reviving the dead. Like, it's something we part of our prayer. Uh, and the question is, how do they all fit together? Uh, what are the sources? What do the sources say, and what's conjecture? Like, what's, you know, what's sourced? You know, and everything I'm going to talk about today is absolutely sourced, and I can give you the sources. And I have them all verified. Uh, and that's why we're not going to be talking about reincarnation, because there is no sources in classical Jewish uh, well, literature. There is dispute with Maimonides. Well, Maimonides, I'm talking about going back to the Tal- Talmudic era. So there's nothing about reincarnation. Well, there is, I'm not going to say there's nothing, but classical, I'm saying classical sources, I'm talking about Talmud from the Midrash. Talmud Midrash of reincarnation. And additionally, I think that even reincarnation, that's a step before what we're talking about. That's like, okay, you had a purpose in the world, uh, you didn't complete it, or you failed, or whatever. Uh, not you, but you as an individual, uh, and now you're starting from scratch. Uh, but we're ready, we want to pivot to the next stage. Okay, we all of us collectively fulfilled our, our, our purpose, fulfilled our mission, collectively as a nation, as a society, as a community, uh, as a family, uh, as, as a people, as a, a race as a whatever uh, species, uh, we completed our tikkun, we fulfilled everything, okay, now what? Uh, um, what is the next kind of phase of existence going on? So ahead? in our daily, daily prayers, yes. the one that says you will revive the dead, where is that source from? I'm sorry? Where is that source? Yeah, where is that we'll from? We'll get to where the source is from. Okay, no, but that's not, re- you're not talking about, that's not reference. Reviving that, absolutely, absolutely. You're asking where, what, what the bracha is, what the prayer is, or what? It, or no, it's in our Friday yeah, service. Yeah, but remember, even, even, oh, service, it's on every oh, service. It's an every, every yeah. single service that we say. It's the, um, what is that? Huh? It's the part of the Amidah. Amidah. Okay. And it's also one of the 13 principles of Maimonides as well, is to believe in reviving the dead. Uh, so what does that mean? What happens to the revival of the dead? You know, we're all sitting there revival, revival of the dead. Revival of the dead is different from reincarnation. Absolutely. Right. right. Yeah. Well, when I'm talking about reincarnation, but I also think reincarnation is, is also more of a stepping stone, not necessarily an entire different phase of existence. <clears throat> so, it, we spoke about last week about the idea of a 2,000 years of Mashiach, which uh, is essentially uh, a 2,000 year time period in which we have to achieve a certain goal, and that is universal realization, acceptance, 
recognition of a very important principle, and that is the idea of God. Right? The world starts off, there's chaos, there's confusion, there's lack of clarity, there's lack of understanding, there's lack of insight. Uh, comes along Abraham, and now we have some idea, and there's a family uh, and a, a burgeoning uh, movement that's going to perpetuate this idea. Comes along Torah, now there's a nation, and the idea of Messiah is a universal acceptance of this idea. Go ahead. So for, for Goim, the idea of uh, what they have to do for a complete tikkun olam is just recognize God or the seven laws? As well, of the, the seven law high laws as well. Okay. Yes, yes. Um, okay, so what this tells us, obviously, is that the idea of Mashiach is not just an individual, uh, it's not just uh, an, an episode, it's not just you know one-time event that's going to be some sort of transformational for the world uh, and for us humans. It's, it's a process. You know, it, it's a 2,000-year process. You know, it starts off, you know, that, that you know, at the beginning of the 2,000-year process, well, then there's a very uh, established nation that is espousing the idea of God and observing the idea of God. Uh, and then now at the end of the thousand years, it has to be not just a nation, the entire world. Um, so thus, the idea of Mashiach, the event, is the punctuation, it's the completion, it's the finalization of a two thousand year process. And that's a very, uh, that's, you know, that's a very, a very critical, uh, a, a critical point. Now, um, just quickly. Uh, like, what are the qualifications of Mashiach? What, is, what, is, what needs to happen? Who is this individual? And what's their role exactly in transitioning the world from this world to some other world? And in that world, well, what happens then? So we find in the sources uh, a few things. Number one, that this is an individual, and he's not some sort of miracle ma- uh, master or some sort of uh, larger-than-life you know, human, someone who's going to die, by the way. So this is someone who's going to have a regular, normal life, birth, death, and none of that whole... Rebirth nonsense. Uh, this is going to be someone from the uh, Davidic line. That's yeah. right. Uh, someone who, Maimonides writes, will study Torah uh, and observe the mitzvahs like David. Uh, someone who is going to influence Israel to abide by the Torah. And someone who is going to battle the wars of Hashem. Now what that actually means uh, is, is, up, is up for, I think, discussion. You know, the wars of Hashem could actually mean like there's a war, there's a battle. I don't know, the Palestinians come after us or the Russians or the Chinese or whatever. Not you guys, I'm saying the I don't know, the Russians. Well, the, uh, you're already here. The North Koreans. <laughs> <laughs> oh, great. I mean, no way. No way. It could mean that it's a physical battle. And that's possible. We know that we have some sources that talk about this apocalyptic, you know, Armageddon-like war. We know that the, the, in Jewish writings. Uh, but I think it's far more likely that the battles of Hashem is, is, is essentially more the spiritual battles. Like, the Almighty doesn't need us to fight a physical battle for us, but the role that we have as humans and as Jews in the world is to stand up for an idea, for a way of life, for an ideology. And that's what it means about, that's what I think, uh, I, I think it's a good, it's good urban to me, that means when the Mashiach will battle the wars of Hashem, it means that he will be at the, you know, at the forefront uh, of the conflict that exists in the world, wherein the world is designed to uh, enable rejection of the Almighty and that idea. So that's the character profile, and we know the accomplishments are, there's like five or six accomplishments that Maimonides delineates to, uh, to reestablish the kingdom of Israel. So uh, once again, like they have a Davidic king, now could that mean that he'll be prime minister, or that mean maybe he'll be a judge, or maybe, that, maybe that'll mean that he'll be a spiritual leader, but someone who's recognized as the leader of Israel who knows? Uh, doesn't mean that it has to be a king. It has to be the, we have to abolish the democracy. 
I don't know. Maybe yes, maybe no. I, I think that, that, that that's, not, that's, that's not the core point. I mean, be, he'll be an influential leader, build a temple. Now, this is, I think, uh, politically uh, a big discussion. Like, you know, Israel, if, if they wanted, they have the military uh, might uh, to go with bulldozers and knock down whatever impediments there are uh, to... Uh, to huh? You would do it, right? Well, they use the uh, support, though. Okay, well, I'm but sure we, they, will, I mean, they won't politics. be a buck, an international no, backlash if Israel did that. No, <laughs> they wouldn't say anything. You know that uh, in in, uh, in Islam. So so so. By the way, the uh, the shrine, Dome of the Rock shrine, is actually not a mosque. Uh, built in 691. Uh, it's it's only 20 years, uh, I mean 30 years ago. King Hussein of Jordan, he sold one of his houses in in London, and he used the money. Uh, to buy 80 kilos of gold. Uh, and that's how they, they, they painted it. If you look at old pictures, like from the 40s and 50s of the Dome of the Rock, it's just stone. Mm-hmm. Now they, 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 it's nothing. It's, yeah, it's but it's interesting but that, that, uh, that every Islamic structure in the world has a crescent on it, the symbol of Islam. And the crescent's always pointed towards Mecca. The moon god, the one they worship, right? No, the, no, the, the, uh, the Muslims don't worship Maimonides writes that the Muslims don't worship any foreign Allah god. Was I don't know what Allah was, but the the the, yeah, the ideology they're they're yeah. they're true monotheists as opposed to the Christians yeah. that yes, are monotheists. They chose one god and they worship him. But okay, go on. I'm sorry, I'm just very go ahead. Islam. So uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not it doesn't coincide with Jewish teachings. So. Uh, but either way, yeah. Uh, so. Um, <laughs> um, but this is the only uh, Islamic. Structure, I don't know the only, but one of the only Islamic structures that actually has a circle on top. If you look very closely at the Dome of the Rock, it has a circle. So I once theorized that the reason why it has a circle is that when the time comes to rebuild a temple on Temple Mount, you know, that's the place where Solomon's temple, that's where Ezra rebuilt the second temple. Uh, we had 800 years of, of, uh, of, of a temple there, 830 to be precise. Like it's been a, a Jewish site for a really, really long time. Hundreds, thousands of years, almost, well, not thousands, but uh, but you know, fifteen hundred years before Islam was even founded, mm-hmm. we uh, we had a temple on that site. Yeah. Question: When you say build, I, I don't know if there's sources where I thought the actual temples is going to come down. And once again, these are let's source it. I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm asking I, I, if there are a source. Yeah, this where, is the beta amongst the Roshonim. According to Rashi and the Raiva, so two of the commentaries that say that it'll actually become self-built, it'll descend from heaven and fire. Like I don't know. Super uh, kid? Yeah. Yeah, it's a lot of stone, a lot of wood, a lot of gold, a lot of copper. because in the Torah there's so many details about how to build it. Yeah, and it's a mitzvah as well. So Maimonides goes with the... We know that it's a mitzvah of the Torah. One of the mitzvahs of the Torah is to build to build a temple. We have a mitzvah, essentially. Uh, it's a it's a question why we don't we don't have this mitzvah right now. He was here in Houston some few years ago or something. Maybe a little more than that. What is his name? He's the main he's the main rabbi of the of the Temple Mount. But he was here in Houston and he brought the plates with the stones. About the what? You know the. The breastplate, oh, yeah. oh, the, the, yeah, the Ouija so thing, yeah. oh, the predicting <laughs> thing, <laughs> really, <laughs> like predicts like stuff. 
Go on, Rabbit. Okay. So, um, <laughs> it tells you to attack. Yeah, it tells you to attack, not to. Yeah. Uber Uber Uber, that's right. Like um, now, um, so it has a circle. So my theory is is that the reason why is when they want to rebuild the temple, they'll take like a bulldozer and they'll hook a thing through it and just uh, lift the whole thing out. <laughs> uh, but either way, you know, like great. for us, uh, you know, we kind of, in hindsight, we have the gift of hindsight to see the fact that, you know, that the Jewish people are essentially at the doorstep, you know. Uh, there's six million Jews in Israel, which is mind-boggling if you count taking the fact that you know, uh, you know that 200 years ago, even 150 years ago, there weren't six thousand Jews in Israel. You know, there was it was not maybe there were six thousand, but there weren't there weren't for sure weren't sixty thousand Jews in Israel. Now there's six million Jews in Israel, which is which is remarkable. It's mind-boggling, and very quickly it's becoming the biggest Jewish uh, center in the world. Um, so the next thing, gather the dispersed uh, Jews to Israel. Part of of this conclusion, uh, this kind of uh, uh, coming back to our sources, is going back to Israel. We kind of see how the progress, we're making significant headway uh, towards that end uh, as we speak. You know, we had in our community where I live in, the, in, in uh, Northfield, uh, there's five families that are leaving the community uh, now. One of them is going to New York and four are making Aliyah. So we have four families from our neighborhood saying we're moving to Israel. Families with kids and whatever. See? Um, so it's you know it's 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 a massive movement. Well, Russia contributed a lot. To that of course, of so course. Forty percent of the Israeli Jews are do you speak Russian? They're from Russia. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, uh, right now, yeah, Well, Europe in general is. The Jews are so this is one of the five things that would. Uh, so we said, uh, establish, reestablish the kingdom of Israel, uh, build a temple, gather the dispersed Jews to Israel, oversee the reinstitution of Jewish law. This is an important point. Jewish law has to be retransitioned back into the law of the land. Now, actually, there's a bill right now in the Knesset which would change the Israeli law system. From being essentially uh, just a, a child of the of, of British common law, to being inspired by Jewish law, like kind of changing the flavor, so to speak. The no, 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 not. I don't think they're going to change the laws, but but change it kind of uh, at large, where it's going to be uh, officially, you know, uh, by uh, legislative, uh, um, I guess, uh, uh, labeling it as being inspired by Jewish law. Um, and this is this is this is a this is there's a significant and growing movement towards uh, in Israel towards achieving this end. But the, if uh, the Mashiach comes and institutes uh, Alakha, yeah, he will have to transition from Hillel to Shammai because <laughs> Shammai is after the right the Mashiach. Comes okay, well, I, I I don't know. You have to quote these things. Remember, that's the rule tonight. Everything has to be quoted. <laughs> Oh, oh no, that's no, not important. No, what does it say? It says, but what exactly does it say? Does it say that we want a Mashiach or does it say Latid Lavo? Go ahead. What does that mean? This is very important. The semantics here are very important. I'll, I'll, I'll find it. I believe it says Latid Lavo, which means in the future, which we don't know. Yes. I believe that's what it says. I'm, I'm pretty sure. I'm not 100% sure. Where's Ben? Um, Where is it? I know. It's working. <laughs> Uh, and the last two are to reestablish sacrificial yeah, and agricultural laws in Israel. Yes, go ahead. So the, the the rebuilding of the state of Israel that you said, like you know, the the is going to be the king or or you know, or 
whatever. Um, so would, would that mean that the, like the Sanhedrin would have to be? Yes. Yeah, so uh, reestablish Sanhedrin. There's a, there's there's somewhat of a technical problem. So for those who are not familiar, the Sanhedrin is a uh, a a body, uh, a, a judicial body of the Jewish people, which is actually established by Moses. Moses establishes actually in the Book of Numbers. Uh, I believe this is chapter 16. Uh, Moses, maybe chapter 10, verse 16. That was when his dad said, you mm-hmm. cannot do this alone? It's no, 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 no. That was something else. Yeah, that was something else. This is 71. You tried. That, that was heads of tens, heads of 50, heads of 100, heads of 1,000, of 10,000. Right, yeah, yeah. Not that. That's something else. That's also compartmentalization well, of, of the judicial process. Uh, compartmentalization, thank you, uh, of, of, of law. This is the kind of the Supreme Court. And in fact, in Jewish law, we have courts comprised of three justices, no, uh, but it's not the court. it's not the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court cannot legislate. It's well, right, right, right. They adjudicate. Yeah. That's right. Um, um, it's the it's the it's and the, they too they, they the adjudicate. They also yeah. adjudicate. Um, um, so this is there's a, there's courts comprised of three uh, justices. Court comprised of twenty three justices, and there's one court in Jerusalem, which by the way was in session from mm-hmm. Moses' time till the end of the fourth century of the Common Era. So we're talking about seventeen hundred years. Of, uh, of uninterrupted, well, not precisely not interrupted because it was interrupted after the first temple, the second temple was destroyed for a little bit. They were disbanded slightly, even though they still maintained a group. But they left Jerusalem and they went traveling all, all over northern Israel. But uh, for the most part, uninterrupted, seventeen hundred years of, uh, of 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 this body being in perpetual session. Now, the problem with that is, there's a, there's a major technical problem, is that in order to be part of the Sanhedrin, you have to be, have, have, have to have smicha. Now, what does smicha mean? Now, smicha means rabbinic ordination. But now, like, I, I'm, I'm a licensed as a rabbi. I have multiple smichas. However, the smicha that we have today, the smicha that we have today is, is very different than the smicha that we have, uh, that, that to, you know, to be qualified as, member, as a member of the Sanhedrin. Uh, in order to be a, a, uh, uh, in order to be a member of Sanhedrin, you have to have smicha that comes from someone who receives smicha, who comes from someone who receives smicha from Moses. So Moses gave out smicha, and then Joshua gave out smicha, etc., etc. That was perpetuated until Hadrian, in the in in the in the uh, in the first in the second century of the Common Era, one of Hadrian's persecutions against the, the Jewish Roman, people. The that's the Roman. That's right. The Roman Emperor Hadrian. Uh, one of his rules against against Torah, was that he said if someone conf- conveys smicha to someone else, so if a rabbi says, okay, I have a student now who's worthy of receiving smicha, the rabbi's going to get executed, the student will get executed, and in fact the entire town will be destroyed. Um, the entire town uh, in which the smicha was conferred will be destroyed. And there was the great story, the one great hero, uh, Rabbi Yehuda ben Baba, who took five students, and he stood between, exactly right in between two towns, uh, and he gave them smicha, and the Romans came, and they threw 300 spears at him, and they killed him, and the kids, the, the students escaped. Go ahead. What? <coughs> Where does smicha come from? Well, it's, uh, it's sourced in the Torah. Where? Uh, a few places. It's shoftim v'shotrim t'yelacha. In the Talmud, the beginning of Sanhedrin, it, it brings the verses where it's sourced. Go ahead. No, no, we're talking about. We have to mention the source. Of yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Our, okay. Fine. So now the problem. Yeah. So the problem <laughs> no, is, is that. <laughs> no, no, no. I expect it from everybody. <laughs> so the problem is, is that um, once this line is stopped, it it uh, it essentially cannot be perpetuated. 
because you kind of have smicha, it kind of conveys smicha, unless you're yourself a recipient of smicha. So, and if, if we can, if we have to re- reestablish a Sanhedrin, and it's not possible to establish a Sanhedrin because we have no people who are worthy of candidates because there's no one who has smicha to give smicha, that's a problem, a technical problem with reestablishing the Sanhedrin. So my, my yeah, modern but if he doesn't have smicha, what, right? So, but, but he's not. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. So what? That doesn't make he, him a superhuman, right? No, no, no. Yeah, 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 you don't have to be superhuman to give smicha. Where does smicha come from? I said it's in the Torah where you want to make someone into a judge, depending on what. Come from judgment. So that, what, from, what depending that? on what is the content of their uh, of the particular court case, whether it be let's say uh, civil matters, uh, um, re- uh, religious matters, uh, uh, sacrificial laws, depending on what laws that they're adjudicating, that would uh, that would uh, that would. Um, that would change whether or not they need to be a musmach. So, for example, even during the times of the temple, in Babylon there was no smicha. So, the Talmud asked, well, how did the courts in Babylon, how did they adjudicate any cases when they didn't have smicha? So it says, well, shlichosai ka'avdi, that they did the, the, the bidding, so to speak, of their friends and fellows in Israel. As, it's as if the, the collective rabbinate of Israel, they appointed all the rabbis in Babylon to be their emissaries in, uh, in, in adjudicating law. Okay. Can you say the, the Hebrew word for, you know, the agricultural where you don't pick the fruits? How do you say that word? Shmita. And what are you saying? Shmita. Smicha and Shmita. Say it slower. Smicha, Shmita. Yes. Shemitah is, is the seventh year. You don't do uh, you don't do work in yes. the land. Shemitah, Shemitah, and smicha. Smicha actually Shmita. means to support. S M I C H. S M I C H. And smicha. Oh, and then shemitah. Yeah, S H M I T T A H or no H. That ends this year, right? That's right. This year is the current year. Is a Shemitah year. That's right. Uh, even though some of the laws the extend. The Catholic Pope who's actually coming to the United States for the first time to speak to Congress. Who? I'm sorry, I'm a conspiracy theorist. But go on, the Pope? <laughs> oh, you think yes. these are connected? Well, there <laughs> are certain things that have not happened in the past that are happening now, but this is... <laughs> this is outside of Judaism, it's more of a conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. With, uh, so the process of uh, being appointed... It's, you can't base yeah, it on so, lineage. So Maimonides, he gives us a loophole, and he says that if the sages of the generation decide that there's a need to reestablish smicha, they could do it even, they could convert smicha even if they themselves are not recipients of smicha. So we know in the 15th, or actually 16th century, 1500s, in Tzfat, in northern Israel, there was an effort to, re- to reestablish, uh, to reestablish uh, a smicha and there's a fellow who was called Maribe Rav, that was his name, and he conferred smicha to himself and to two other rabbis, and there was an international Jewish uproar, because there always is an international Jewish uproar, because whenever you talk about smicha with regards to the biblical smicha needed for, for making someone worthy of being on Sanhedrin, you're always talking about messianic terms. Anytime you mention messiah or messianic ambition, everyone gets very wary. So that's where it started and it stopped. There was this, like I said, there was somewhat of an effort to, to do that. One of the recipients of the smicha is, is Rabbi Joseph Cairo, who is one of the pivotal characters in all of, uh, of Jewish history, uh, as the author of the Shulchan Aruch, the Bet Yosef, 
the Kesef Mishnah, one of the most prolific and influential uh, uh, individuals in all of Jewish history. And that's, a, that, and that's a big, big deal because he's only relatively recently, you know. We talk about Maimonides and Ravina Ravashi and Rabbi Judah the Prince and Ezra and Moses. He's kind of, he has a, that kind of crucial role in, in, in actually making a, 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 a univer- universal, but a, a, a national uh, influence uh, with his writings and with his leadership. Either way, so that's that. So someone answered, someone asked about the, the, the Sanhedrin. Uh, yes, yeah, so there are other things you need to be qualified to be a Sanhedrin, to be part of the Sanhedrin, but either way, that would also be part, part and parcel of what would happen kind of Messiah. Now, Messiah does not need to be a miracle worker. He does need to, we don't ask for any signs. Maimonides goes very, uh, to great lengths to prove this. He says, uh, for example, Bar Kokhba, as we all know, Bar Kokhba was a great military leader who, uh, who uh, headed the, uh, the 132, the year 132, the effort of reestablishing sovereignty over Israel, and he was successful, him and, and his uh, rebellion was successful of actually ridding Israel of Romans for three years, from the year 132 to 135. And Rabbi Akiva, the preeminent sage of the time, he said, Bar Kokhba, is, he looks like the Mashiach. And what happened? Bar Kokhba died. And after he died... After he died, they, uh, they, uh, he said, oh, once he died, we, it was clear that, he, that he's not Mashiach. That's what the Rambam says. And by the way, this is this, the Rambam, all, everything, everything quoted from the Rambam, just to uh, prevent wait, wait, your next wait, wait. question, uh, is from the very two last chapters of the Rambam. Goodness. Which one's that? Uh, which is in the book of Shoftim, which is the 14th out of 14 mm-hmm. books. In the Hilchos... Hilchos, uh, I think it's uh, Malachim, Malachim, the Laws of Kings, uh, chapter eleven, chapter ten, and chapter eleven are the last, very two last chapters of Maimonides, in which he tells us all the details of of Messiah and what it means for us. And by the way, an important point here to realize is that uh, is that uh, we know that Maimonides wrote his books in uh, order of importance. I thought that was an assumption. In order of well, yes, it's yes, it's it's. It, it, I don't believe it's explicitly mentioned anywhere, but it's 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 uh, undeniably uh, evident that that's what he did. Because he starts off with the laws of the foundations of the Torah, and then he moves on to the laws of of, of rejecting idolatry, and then he moves on to the laws of t- Torah study, and then he moves on to the laws of 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 proper character, and then he moves on to the laws of tshuva. Like those are core elements of Torah, you know. And he's the first thing he talks about is believe in God, you know. So he's clearly not working in the order of the Torah, uh, as in start with, uh, be fruitful, multiply, and move on to the laws of uh, of circumcision and and the sciatica. He's clearly moving in order of importance. Now, the second to last thing that Maimonides talks about is the laws of Gentiles. Thus, in my in my opinion. It seems like Maimonides is kind of telling us, you Jews, you reading my book? Oh, fantastic. This is the book of Jewish law. Wonderful. It's more important for you to actually study what Gentiles need to do than Messiah. And, and he, he even he exhorts us in, in, his, in, his, uh, in his final kind of statement uh, where he talks about Messiah. He says, don't think too much about it because you know why? You won't get not love of God, not fear of God. None of the two core elements of Jewish greatness uh, can be deduced or derived or inspired by thinking about Messiah. It's just, it just, it just, it just, you have to believe it, 
You have, to, you have to understand it. You have to realize that a lot of the things are metaphorical, like the wolf and the lamb lying together. He says that's not that's the, he, he he singles that out as an example of something which is a metaphor where enemies can get along. It doesn't mean that a wolf uh, and a lamb are just sitting there and chilling out and you know and I don't know having a beer. Having a beer. Right. <laughs> um, additionally, another very important point is that um, he says, like we mentioned that the Messiah does not need to do any signs or any miracles or revive the dead or anything like that. Uh, and in fact, one of the signs of false messiahs in Jewish history uh, are that they, that they tamper with uh, the law. You know? So he says, for example, if someone adds or subtracts a mitzvah from the Torah, that is a clear sign that this is a false messiah. Uh, and we know that uh, uh, J.C., for example, uh, and Shabtai Tzvi, uh, Yimach yeah. uh, uh, he was a, uh, a false messiah in the 16th century. Uh, and it was very disastrous what happened because everyone, you know, messianic expectations were so high, things were so bad, and Jewish people said, oh, they of Mashiach will come. And this one super talented and charismatic leader says, oh, I'm your guy. And then he, a lot, a lot of Jews in Europe sold their houses and moved, started moving to Israel. And then on his way to Israel, he stopped off in Turkey, and the guy says, oh, really? Oh, you're the messiah? Oh, is that true? This convert, is the Ottomans. Uh, actually, if you don't convert to Islam, I'm going to chop your head off. He's like, okay, I'll convert to Islam. And he's like, what the heck, right? So he converted to Islam. That, that, that's what happened to that, to that. But then all the Jews are there with their suitcases on the doorstep of Israel, and they're like, uh, we actually sold everything. We're not going home. Uh, we're here for Messiah. Where's the Messiah? And they're like, dude, you know. Uh, so that was, was disastrous. And by the way, if you ever encounter uh, a hesitancy uh, or... Uh, um, skepticism with regards to uh, Kabbalah there's deep-seated skepticism by any uh, proponent of public teaching of Kabbalah ever since the times of Shabbat Tzvi because that's what he did he was a great scholar uh, and he would dazzle and enamor people with his knowledge especially in the, mo- in the mystical parts of Jewish learning and uh, the, the feeling was afterwards that you know it's dangerous, you know. You have people studying it, and, and it gets to their head, and they think that they're, you know, you know they get a megalomaniacal uh, as a result of their of their of their cabals. It doesn't do doesn't do anything for them. So ever since then, by the way, Lutzata, right? Ramchal, we're familiar with that name. He was banished from Italy in in seventeen twenty seven. So seventeen twenty seven is is more than a hundred years after Shachai Tzvi, the whole episode. Actually, I think it was 1650, so uh, maybe it was a significant amount of time later. Uh, because Ramchal, Lutzato, was a 20-year-old young man who was dabbling in Kabbalah, they said, out of Italy. He actually moved to Israel. They kicked Ramchal out of Italy because they were very wary. They've seen this before. You know, the young phenom who wants to study Kabbalah. You know? So he, that's why he was, he was banished to, to Italy. And in fact, even in the, in the, in the 17... 60s, there was a controversy, the Ibishitz and Emden controversy that tore apart European Jewry, where essentially two of the greatest rabbis at the time were actually neighbors in a small little city middle of nowhere, and one of them accused the other one of being a, a, a Sabbatean. Sabbatean means someone who's a closet follower of Shabtai Tzvi, even though Shabtai Tzvi has been dead for 100 years. Right? And he wrote articles and published publications against the other guy who lived across the street from him and disseminated it throughout Europe saying 
this guy is a secret sabbatine, and he proved it from his writings, and he proved it, he tried to, tried to, allegedly tried to prove it. And essentially it caused a rift, a split amongst European Jewry. I don't know how familiar you guys are with the story, but this was, these are all the results of what happens after uh, terrible episodes of false messiahs. I, I really have an honest question. I don't mean to be Go offensive. Ahead. Isn't that the start of, that's the lineage of how Chabad got started, no? From that, that separation. Uh, no. Isn't that the no, call? No, no, isn't no, that the no, 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 no. This, this, this is not, this is not, uh, no. No, Hasidism. No, that's, that's, that's something else. That's what, something what else. What is that? Uh, that's not, not that? related to the, to, to the Ibishan's ending controversy. That's, that's, uh, that's, you know, the what, second generation. What would you generation. call that, that, that word? Ibishan's ending? Those are the, the their S names. word. <laughs> Sabbateans? Sabbateans. How do you spell yeah. that? Uh, I don't know. S-A-B-E-T-I-E-N-S. S-A-B-E-T-I-E-N-S. Shabtai-Tians. Sabbateans. I think it's spelled S A B B E A T O N or A N A N S. Either either way, uh, we find the following statement. I think this may be the most important one uh, uh, of with regards to the ideas of Messiah, uh, and that is the Rambam tells us. It says he quotes the Talmud in Sanhedrin. There's no difference between this world and the world of Messiah. Only subjugation to the kingdom. And this world was subjugated. And, that's, and after Messiah comes, there's no change. Right? The Olam came in Hago Omed. The world, everything perpetuates the same way. Right? Nothing, nothing fanciful. No, no candy growing trees or anything like that. You know, no one's flying around in hoverboards. Well, maybe people are. But, uh, but not, not in any nature-defined capacity. Rather, the only difference is, is that now we're subjugated to the kingdom and afterwards we're not subjugated to the kingdom. Now, that could mean is that we have the freedom, we have independence, maybe we have the state of Israel. We're all moved to Israel. We're not subjugated to foreign kingdoms. That's a very good interpretation of what that means. But perhaps it also means that there's a more uh, uh, intimate kingdom, a more personal kingdom that we all have, and that is the dominion that we all suffer from our Yetzirah, from our evil inclination. We are in, when someone says, I cannot talk to you until I have my coffee, that, what, what, what does that mean, right? Have you ever heard that? Don't talk to me before I have a coffee. You've heard that? What does that mean? It means that I am under the total control and dominion of my urge to have a coffee. And therefore, I'm not a human until I have that, right? I'm, a, I'm dependent on this, right? That's what it means. Now, Can it change them from being a human? No, it just means that they're a human in captivity or, or, or in subjugation. Their urges, the, the urges dominate them. That's yeah, right. That's right. That's an example of what the Yetzirah does to us. Right? The Yetzirah tells us is that you have to be this way. It, you cannot possibly be any other way. Like if, like if someone says, I, I had a student tells me, I cannot observe Shabbat. I can't do it. No matter what. Why? Because maybe I'll have to go visit. Right? You, you can't. You're, you're shackled. You have your hands tied behind your back and you have handcuffs on them. Right? You are bound to the death of every single week. Why? Because you are a slave. That's, that, that's the real answer. What you're a slave because you said, I can't. Huh? It's, it's, it's what we, we call the Yetzirah, the evil inclination, which is in, in it's a kingdom, essentially, where God is not our king. It's this, uh, this, this force is our king, and that, that dominates us. What is this force? Well, it's, it's, that's a good question. It's, it's, it's an entire class. Good. I mean, um, I it's, want to it's, know about this other world yes. that pulls me away from God. Right, it's, 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 it's the Yetzirah, it's, it's the force that the Almighty created to make this friction, this tension, and to kind of push us away from God, and that will be our, uh, uh, our nexus of free will. And our free will lies in the fact that 
we are being convinced that that what we want is what the Yetzirah wants, and we feel that that's what I want. We're we're under their dominion. We we we're like the North Koreans, you know. We don't have a say in the matter because we have to you know, we have to answer up to the Almighty uh, Yetzirah. But what about what God says? You know, is He really the King of us? I don't know. Maybe to a certain degree, yes, but a certain degree, no. And I think that's a very fair argument. If if there's anything that someone says, this I cannot do, even though the Almighty tells me to do it, that means in that area of their lives. They are not under the control of God. They're saying, my, my God, my master, my king is the Yetzirah. And therefore, I'm, I'm bound by this. You know? And that is what we have in this world, where there's, that's possible. Perhaps when the Rambam is telling us, that the only difference between this world and the times of Messiah is subjugation to the kingdom, that's the kingdom that we're talking about. That in after Mashiach comes, once there is such a tangible, widespread, ubiquitous knowledge of God to such a degree that it's going to obliterate the Yetzirah, and therefore there's only one king left, and there's, we're no longer subjugated to the to, you know, to, to, to the king, quote unquote, that's our Yetzirah, right? We got rid of that. Now we're trying to free men, right? We we to do what we want. You know, we're no longer shackled uh, and beholden to the will of our Yetzirah. Perhaps that's the, that, that that's what that means. There's always hmm. just one thing, right? Yeah, but, uh, you know, even on, on Rosh Hashanah, if you remember, uh, during the prayers, there's a lot of prayers that go on, uh, but we talk about uh, Melech Elyon. There's a very important prayer called Melech Elyon, right? Mm-hmm. And we talk about this, this, this great, wonderful king, which is, the, which is God. And then we, in the middle, they close the parochas and say, Aval Melech Elyon, and say it quietly. It talks about this poor king, this, this beggar king. You know, and then they say Ava, and then they open it right in the middle. You remember that? Yes. That's that is kind of contrasting to the two kings that we have. On one hand, we're loyal to God, you know, and of course loyal. On the other hand, we're not. We're totally disloyal. Well, but are you uh, and because to say because, that because we have, we have two kings? what? Are you prepared to say that we have two kings? No, I'm saying in re- reality, uh, there's difference in what the reality is. There's only one power. Yeah. Uh, however, yeah, we behave in a way. We, sorry? Well, people have two kings. There's only one true king. Right. I mean, well, you can but have people any... have two kings. <laughs> right. Well, one king, so one king, but two masters. King. Exactly. There are two masters. That's like the second little king. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's but it, it's. I'm saying it's not. I'm not trying to say that it's essentially not a true king, it's but... its own power. And the Talmud tells us, listen, the Yetzirah is very good. Oh, yeah. Because that creates something for us to aspire to. That creates uh, a meaning in our lives because now we have something that, that repels us from God. Uh, but, for, you know, but for us to say that we're totally uh, beholden to God, that's actually not true. You know? And maybe the times of Mashiach, that's what it will look like. It would be nice if we could be. But we got to work. That's the work. I mean, that, problem, that, that's right? what life's about. So Life is about to try to that? change our affiliation, our allegiances from our Yetzirah to God. That's what it means. About, I, I would synthesize that as that's what life's all about. The rest is coming here. Everything else is coming <laughs> right, Go start. Go and study. <laughs> uh, okay. I want to talk now about Chatham 18, the resuscitation of the dead. Um, there's some more stuff from Mashiach, but I, I want to I want to at least dig in a little bit into this. Not a little early, I'm babysitter, but we're going to do some of this. Uh, some of this. this is very interesting. So we uh, we're told uh, that the Mishnah says the, the, the Mishnah is even preceded the Talmud 
כל ישראל יש להם חלק לעולם הבא. No one knows what that means? Every Jew has a portion in the world to come. Every single Jew. Where does that come from? It brings a verse. There you go. It brings a verse in the Torah. However, these are the people that don't have a portion of the world to come. It means standard Jew, default status, you got a portion of the world to come. However, unless you're one of the following sinners, and he gives a list of sinners. Someone who says this, and someone who says that. The first thing it says... Of someone who has no portion of the world to come, Haomer ain't Chiasamesim in the Torah, who is the person who says that there's no concept in the Torah of Chiatamitim, of resuscitation of the dead. Thus, merely claiming, declaring that there's no biblical sources for reviving the dead, that alone uh, disqualifies you from a little bit. That's, that's, what, that's what the Mishnah says. Uh, thus, we could say, you know, the first thing I think, uh, the baseline for even the discussion of Chesametim, what is it? Well, the first thing is that we have to believe in it. And we have to believe in it, not only just believe in it as an ideal, but as an ideal that is biblically substantiated. And in fact, the Talmud goes on, it brings at, at least ten, I lost track of how many sources it brings. I, all, they're all there, it is the Talmud of Sanhedrin, it starts on page 90, uh, 90B, uh, and it goes on for about a whole page, an enormous pages, but, uh, where it brings many, many verses. Go ahead. But I don't understand. So it says uh, you have to believe that the Torah substantiates this idea. If it's that's substantiated, right. then you have to believe in Jesus. Okay, so, but, yeah, that's a good question. Okay, but there are people that would say that, that no, it's not a, it's, it's not a Torah, Torahitic ideal. Well, I understand. And the rabbis made it up. Believe that. Oh, and you can use that, 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 that. You remember proof? that the rabbis made it up? <laughs> no. Um, uh, so, so I'd like that. And by the way, Maimonides, in, in his 13 Principles of Faith, that we've all, from, we've all heard of, Maimonides' 13 Principles of Faith, uh, one of them is to believe in Mashiach. One of them, the last one, is, that's, that's number, uh, number 12. And number 13 is to believe in Chesamit and reviving the death. So what, like, again, like we could say simply that the baseline is for us to believe that it's the biblical source. And in fact, the Talmud goes on to bring about 10 or 12 Biblical sources. Now, I want to point to one of the sources that it brings. It's more like a, a narrative that that uh, that existed between uh, uh, a dialogue that happened uh, regarding this discussion. Uh, and in fact, we find that the Gentiles that existed at the time of the Talmud they had a fascination with this idea of dead people coming back to life. Uh, and the Talmud records uh, several narratives uh, that existed uh, at the time. So the first one it says uh, is Caesar, so we don't know what Caesar is, but he, he tells Rabbi Namliel. Rabbi Namliel is the rabbi, and Caesar. It's a And we know that Rabbi Namliel. Rabbi Gamliel was the Nasi, was the president, and we, and we know that uh, the leader of the Jewish people at the time was politically recognized by the Romans, and uh, and he had a dialogue with, with with the local Caesar, with the Caesar at the time, and he said to him, "How does God take earth and form bodies out of it? How how does that work? Like what's the process?" No, this is the Talmud. Oh. Way before the Kazar. Right? 
what, what's the process? And how does that work? You know, it's, it's some magic. God, like, makes some golem and makes a body out of the earth. What's the deal? It doesn't like this. He says, imagine you had in town two contractors. One of them builds houses out of water. And one of them builds houses out of cement. Which one is a more impressive feat? Water, right? You have a water degree? Is that right? Mm-hmm. So he says, God, right, in this world we see God creating humans out of water. And he's referring to the to sperm. It's a little nothing. It's water, you know? Uh, and if God could create humans out of water, God could certainly create humans out of earth. Okay? That's the very clever dialogue uh, that we have. Uh, it just, it's, it's, it's interspersed with all the proofs and the way the Talmud goes on and meanders off. Uh, um, it brings a discussion with Cleopatra. We'll get to that in a second. But either way, uh, I think it's, it, you know, there's, there's, there's the insight of the fact that it's not such a major deal. I mean, the reason why it's hard for us to think about uh, dead people coming back to life is because we've never seen it before. You know? But if you dropped an alien at the planet Earth and you said to him, okay, which one of them is more likely to bring about life, you know? And you describe the process that we're very familiar with uh, as what brings about life. Or you say, you take the materials and you just assemble it, yourself, you know, you assemble it yourself, and in fact, you take the materials from an existing body material, and you just build it. Well, which one of them seems more simple, sim- simplistic? Well, I saw a zombie movie, I'm pretty sure they come back to life. is <laughs> pretty simple. <laughs> It's not the most complicated situation. I think somebody being alive before that is... Yeah, and I always feel like this. Like, you know, if, if, if you were to separate a human into just the raw materials, um, you could, you could probably buy it for a few dollars in a, uh, in a, in a pharmacy, you know, yeah. uh, where a lot of water, a lot of carbon... You know, mostly just nonsense. You know, it's not so. You know, is that but is that what a human is? Just a pile of this and a pile of that. It's like you know, it's like kind of, but it's yes uh, on a molecular level. But that's but a human is much more than that. Mostly empty space, um, by the way. It's, it's uh, design. Yeah. So so it's not so hard for us to think that if God could do all of this, most certainly God could do that. Uh, but either way, I think I want to point out that. Um, what is it telling us? It's telling us that in this world, the way we know humans are created is out of water. In Tchiatam and there's some other existence, they're not made out of water, they're made out of earth. Mm-hmm. Your bodies are not composed out of water, they're composed out of earth. Who else do we know that was, the body was made out of earth? Adam. 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 Whenever to hold this thought, is this going to come back uh, well, very crucially? Earth, huh? How much of part of the earth is water? Is it like 75% just like a human? No, that's the the surface of the uh, the surface of of Who of knows Earth. what's under it? Uh, the geologists. Hmm. No. I don't believe. Oh, it depends on where. <laughs> it's all about theories, and uh, I don't buy theories. Sorry, geologists. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so so we have this idea, this idea of, of of reviving dead people. Okay, you gotta believe in it. Fantastic. There's ten or more sources, and it's compared to, I guess this. Con- you know, contrasting building something out of water versus building something out of earth. Now listen to this, guys. What happens? Okay, so okay, so now we're back. Is that fine? So you, go back, you go back to your job and say, it's been a while. 
Uh, is, is it part, can I still get my job back? You know, do you, you know, I had someone ask me, like, what, what about my bank accounts? You know, in the Cayman Islands, you know? Do you go back and just get your bank accounts? You move back into your house and say, excuse me, this is my place? Like, what happens once... Okay, fine, we reconstituted the humans, we reconnected the body and soul. Now what? What, what, what kind of life are we talking about here? So we find... You come back in your... You don't come back in the same body, right? Yes. Well, I don't know. I have no, I have no idea well, which... we've never seen it, but it's a possibility. I don't believe in tears. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Touche. <laughs> so, there's this... Uh, the Talmud tells us that there's a, another debate, this time between Antoninus and Rebbe, and listen to this question that he asks him. He tells him, he says, the body and the soul can never be judged. Yeah. Why? Because can, each one of them can self-exonerate. Uh-huh. Why is uh-huh. that? Because God comes to the body and says, you sinner, you sinned. He says, me, I'm a sinner? Yeah, it's the soul. Look at me now. Ever since the soul left me, I'm like a rock on the ground, totally incapable of anything. So God goes back to the... That's right. So God goes back to the angel, back to the, uh, to the soul, says, you sinner. He's like, me? Look at me, I'm flying around like a bird. I'm flying like a bird. It's the, it's the body that sins. So each one of them, so they can never be judged. How could they ever be judged? Now, the problem with not having judgment is that the second you take away judgment from the big picture of the philosophy, you're essentially making... Uh, you get rid of the whole meaning aspect. Because once there's no uh, ramifications, if there's no consequences, well, the actions obviously don't matter because there's no consequences. Uh, and that's why it's very important, like Maimonides tells us, four of the, of the 13 principles of faith are about consequences, both for good and for bad. So it's a much bigger question that he's asking. He's not just asking a technical loophole in the system where they can each say, oh, you can't prove it was me. You know, you can't prove it wasn't me, you know. That, 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 that's part, you know, that's of course part of the question. But it's a much deeper question that once you uh, separate the body and the soul, well, what do you have to judge both positively and negatively? What can be recipients of good or what can be recipients of bad uh, in, 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 in respect to giving reward and punishment for someone's actions? Sure. Uh, so, he tells them as follows, and like you guys mentioned... Uh, he tells them, he says that there was this king, I'll say it really quickly, because there are people here that know it, that I don't want to bore them, God forbid, with the details again. <laughs> I uh, enjoy the studies. Uh, uh, especially if we're not looking for any nuance or anything like that. Excuse me. Are you going to talk about so, the frowns? No. I have, so many, I have some other cool stuff. You'll be happy. I assure you. Because <laughs> we'll have to support. So... He tells him like this, there was this king who had a beautiful orchard, and he hired two guards to watch the orchard. One of them was blind, and one of them was lame. And they're sitting there watching the orchard, and all these beautiful, luscious fruits, and the lame guard tells the other guy, says, hey, I see these beautiful fruits, but I can't walk and get them. He's like, oh, beautiful fruits? Where? He says, you know what? Let's conspire, and you'll give me a pity back, right? And I'll direct you. Make a right, make a left. Oh, watch out for that brown tray. You know, and we'll go, we'll eat the fruits. So they go, he hops on his back, and he starts maneuvering, and they start eating all the fruits, and eventually all the fruits are gone, and King Strim comes back and says to them, hey, where are all my fruits? His lame guard says, me, I sinned? Look at me, I have no legs. How could I possibly have eaten the fruits? And the blind guard tells the king, says, I couldn't have eaten them, I'm blind. Must have been the other guy. So what did the king do? The king took the lame guard, put him back into piggyback uh, position, 
and judge them like one. Says says Rebbe, says the rabbi, Rebbe the prince, in the future, the Almighty will take the soul, put it back in the body, and judge them as one. Well, if the body's yeah, so that's why we don't. That's why we don't. That's why one of the reasons why we don't burn body is yeah, because we still we still well, value. If it is, let's say like there was a Portland fire and heaven forbid. Well, well, if Nazis came back and there, there, there is a Talmud that talks about this bone at the core. I think it's the bottom of the spine that 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 never that never gets extinguished, and that's what is used as the foundation to rebuild the body. Uh, but either way, what if the body decomposes? Those are the questions, right? Well, yeah. Okay. That's obvious. The skeleton. What what the I'm sorry? What difference does it make? The body is the body. Yeah, but body is a vessel, right? But if there is no body. But if there is no God made Adam, if God made Adam out of dirt, it doesn't matter if there's bones or not. If you were here, God will reconstitute you. Well, then why do they not burn the body? Well, maybe that's just the mitzvah to bury Yes, but... I mean, you're, you would it not matter if you burn the body? No, the Torah says you have to bury the body. Yes. Yes. It's still a mitzvah to bury the body, right? Yeah. So, so okay, we're going above and beyond where it doesn't really matter anymore. Because God has all things. Because it's a mitzvah not to burn the body. It's a mitzvah. Yes, but if you do, it doesn't matter. It's a mitzvah to bury. You'll still be judged the same way. You'll be better if it's left alone the way it is. You'll be judged the same way. You just might have another judgment upon you for burning your body. Exactly. So now you have something else you did wrong. Yes, exactly. So, what does this tell us? This is essentially imagery of of reunification of body and soul, right? It seems like it's telling us that the purpose of this unity of body and soul is for judgment. Once someone dies, okay, they cannot be judged because the body and the soul are separated and each one of them has this argument of self-exoneration. And it's a very good argument. Thus, you have to put the body and soul back together because otherwise you can't possibly judge them. Sorry, it's the babysitter attached to me. My son is making a ruckus. I apologize. That's what it seems like, right? Whenever you need to... No problem. I'm, uh, yeah. Um, that makes a lot of sense, right? If you have a body and a soul and you want to judge them, it's not possible to judge them separately, so you have to put them together. It's kind of like a, a technicality uh, because otherwise it's like a loophole. You know, you got you to fix the loophole and thus you have to re-insert uh, re, uh, the soul back into the body and then judge them. Well, what happens after that? Well, then maybe that's once... If that's what a Tchiyat team is all about, it's just for, it's just, uh, for judgment, it's just a possibility to enable judgment, okay, well then, then that's what happens. Now, wh- wh- who would that be for? For everyone, right? Everyone who needs to be judged. Good people, bad people, in between people, really terrible people, really fantastic people. Everyone needs to be judged. As part of the you know, the whole human condition is that we have to have a meaningful life. Thus we have to be have to have, our actions have to have consequences. We can't have consequences unless we're judged. We can't be judged unless we have the body and soul back together. Well, I put the body and soul back together, get the judgment, and move on. Fart it, right? Does everyone get judged or is it Jews? Everyone. Every all humans, time. that's right. Okay. Does everyone get judged on different Everyone's judged on their own level. That's right. That's the Almighty. But the Almighty is the judge, right? I think you're yes, yes. Everyone gets judged. Judge, judge, no, 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 depending on where you are. Are you Jew? Are you Muslim? Yeah, going, are you Christian? Going, are you, yeah, but you, yeah, the Almighty takes everything into account, obviously. Yes. Okay. Here's where it gets interesting. No, but that, so the, the, the some question, of course, each one is judged according to its level. Like Moshe was. Like, you're Jew, so you're judged. Right. But Jews, level, Jews so and non-Jews are as a yeah, group. Of course, of course, yeah, yeah, of course we yes. have a much higher bar. That's why we get punished much more severely. 
you know. Yes. <laughs> so like this. You judge on that level regardless. <laughs> so it says like this. It says um, another another question that was asked by a noble, this time a woman. This is Cleopatra. The Talmud uh, quotes Cleopatra. She's not Jewish. Uh, she was not Jewish. That's right. <laughs> and she asked Rabbi Mayer, and she asked me a very interesting question. She says, "Okay, the bodies are coming back to life. Okay, you got no problem with that. Are they going to have clothing? Or are they going to be naked?" That's the question that she asks. I don't know. I think it's a it's probably a good question, you know. Uh, that's a question. It's, a it's right there. It's not kosher. How you warn you? So I don't, you don't eat it. Eat it. <laughs> what? Oh. 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 It's gone. Where's my cats when I need them? So, that is, that was her question. Uh, and, uh, so Rabbi Meir responds to her like this, as in, you know, the classic Jewish response to any question is to give a muscle, to give a parable. He says to them, I'll give you an example. He says, you take a uh, kernel of wheat, and the kernel of wheat, if you want to, Planted as a seed, you have to take off the chaff and you have to put it in the ground. So you take a kernel, a kernel of wheat, and it goes into the ground naked, but it comes out closed. So tzaddikim, righteous people, that we put them into the ground with clothing, because as we know that there's they have a barrel of tachlichim, burial shrouds, they go into the ground with clothing. How much more will they emerge? How much more? Most certainly, they will emerge with clothing as well. That's an example of a Kabbalah Homer, right? If wheat goes in naked, comes out with clothing, right? The tzaddikim, the right people, they go with clothing, they most certainly will, will emerge with clothing. What about Adam and Eve? Huh? They had they clothing. Come out with clothing? They had clothing. They well, came out with clothing. I think well, they, they came out naked. They, they were created. They were created. They, they came they from died. the earth. But, but they were, we're not talking about being created. Right, but that. They, yeah, they, they, they weren't. They, they weren't. They were not human. That is not. That is not. Well, we're separating this because if we were to go without clothing and come back with clothing, so if we were created, you understand where I'm coming? I, I, there's a much better question that you should have asked. I'm pretty uh, sure you understand. I'm I understand what you said. Correctly. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, and that's not. I'm saying it's not. It's not a perfect example because that's not the only case of reviving the dead. Right? That's not Tchesa Mesa. Yes, it's the world of creation, but... Okay. Never I'm not Fine familiar question. with the burial process, so there's a... There's, there's, there's special clothing designed for, bur- for burial, and that's what they bury people in. You, you can't wear it. socks, huh? You can't wear shoes. Yeah, just they just can't wear shoes, socks like or shoes or whatever. Either way, I, if I, I'm, I'm shocked that I won't ask the question. Clearly, you guys are not focused exactly on the words. <laughs> this question I meant to ask. Ooh. I'll read it. Should I read it again? <laughs> See who's asked the question? Yeah, read it again. What's... Sorry, guys. That was a little barb. I'm taking it back. <laughs> come, on, come on. Let's go. Okay, so Cleopatra asked her mayor, when, they, when, when, when people come out, come out right? They, when they reemerge, are they with clothing or are they naked? She tells them, oh, I'll give you a couple homer. You take it in wheat, you put it into the ground, it goes right, naked, right, right. it comes out with clothing. Sadiq and the righteous people, you put them in with clothing. How much more so will they emerge with clothing? What about those that aren't Zadikim? You guys all unanimously told me that reviving the dead is for everyone. Why? Because it's for judgment. If it's for judgment, as it clearly indicates in the Dalma, it's for judgment. 
Uh, thus, and everyone has to be judged. Why would you think otherwise? Uh, and therefore, why is it? Why why are they mentioning sadikim? Who cares about sadikim? Sadikim, non non sadikim, average people. Why would it talk about sadikim? Can people be judged before? But you can't be judged unless the body and soul are reunified. We just established that. If you can't be judged when the body, before the body and soul are reunified, everyone has to be reunified. And now, why is it talking about sadikim? Why is it mentioning sadikim? Yeah. That's one uh, point. I think it's a good question. In fact, I found other places in the Talmud as well. Go ahead. Do you emerge with more clothes or less? Because when we're judged on Yom Kippur, we're supposed to be humble. Well, it doesn't say that. It just says we emerge clothed. We emerged. I don't know what that even means. Yeah. But I, I think there's another very interesting point, and that is. Hey, go ahead. Yeah, that's a good question. What age? But if we accept reincarnation as fact, which body? What its spouse is? Whatever, however your body died, that's what you can uh, judge. Eighty nine years old, or whenever they die. Well, but remember, you're be praying to God, God, please close everybody. Well, Leonard, regardless, you either died at eighty, so you're going to be judged for eighty years of life, or you died at twenty, right, but you're judged for twenty years. Of I know, but life. I, I, I want to deal with a more fundamental question. If it's if putting the soul back in the body is just about judging, and we can't judge unless you have a body and a soul together, then it doesn't really matter. Like we just need to be able to judge him. Once we're done judging, then that's the whole question. Okay, so the question is: Are you a fifty-year-old at the trial, or are you a seventy-two-year-old at the trial? But but if it's just that, if it's all about that, then I don't think it's such an important question. Uh, yeah, I think it's a good question. Uh, I think it's something to, to discuss, but it's not a core question. Uh, if it's something more than that, if it's more than just uh, a, a, a just a, a possibility to avoid the, the you know the problem, the technicality of, of the trial, well then that's that, that's a very strong question. Uh, does Zadi doesn't let its body um, inhibit its soul? So, oh, you're talking about the body and soul becoming one. Okay. So that's why it's mentioning Zadi. Okay, so he's saying really everyone gets revived, but the tzaddik is somewhat different. I think it's a good takeaway. The good takeaway is there's something different here with righteous people. But I want, what, what else does it tell us here? What's the imagery here? Well, he's some striking he imagery. With? What's he clothed with? Yeah, that's another oh, thing. It's striking imagery. Well, it's telling us like this, guys. What? It's telling us. Go ahead. Go ahead, Miriam. Okay. Sorry, I'm going backwards a little bit. Okay, so our soul and our body are combined. But are we also judged as a group? Because we're supposed to act as a group on Earth. No. On Rosh Hashanah, we're judged as one. I believe we're here we're judged as an individual as well. Uh, there are some times where we get judged collectively. As we see in the Torah several times, just people get judged collectively. We find in, in Talmud several references for collective judgment, most notably Talmud and Shabbos. That's pretty collective punishment. Collective punishment as well. That's a very uh, important philosophical dilemma, I think, to discuss. Still but either way, that. this is, uh, I think, as individuals. Okay. Um, either way we find some I think incredibly striking imagery and that is that what do we compare we compared a kernel into the ground planting something something emerges now what emerges so you think they can see you plant it it's something which is essentially the same thing that was put into the ground right at the DNA level but it is a full development of that idea it's a full manifestation of that idea right it's not 
it's not it, it's not the same thing. It's not, it's not the seed comes out. No, plant, it's plant a, plant a nut from a tree and all tree, all trees actually. It's the same plant. thing, but it's a development of that idea. And then it says, as an example to that, you put the body into the ground and something else comes out. That's the comparison. Now, if it was just this example, it wouldn't be enough. However, two pages later in the Talmud, it's like this. It quotes a verse in Proverbs. The verse says as follows. I'm reading the verse. The grave and the narrow part of the womb land unsated with water and fire that never says enough. Seems like a very cryptic verse. The grave and the narrow part of the womb land unsated with water and fire that never says enough. What does that mean? And the Talmud asks a question. It says, what in heaven's name, does a grave have to do with the narrow part of the womb? That's living. You, you emerge from it. Create. From both. So it's like this. Ma. Right. Rechem. Motzi machnis. Just like a rechem at the narrow part of the womb. Something goes in and something comes out. So too, a grave, something goes in and something comes out. That's what it says. And it says... It, it, it develops the idea further and says that uh, that uh, that uh, in the case of the example, right? So the uh, the narrow part of the womb it enters discreetly, uh, but it emerges screaming with wails, right? The baby comes out screaming. A grave that goes in, and everyone's crying. It's, it goes in with wails. Well, how much more certainly does it go come out with wails? And that's an, a reference to this massive chauffeur that we're going to have at this time. It's going to be lots of noise. You know, lots of, uh, of the aforementioned ruckus. Either way, what do we find here? We're, we're, we're comparing something. They, they have a seed going in. There's a progression. There's a gestation. There's a time, right? You put a seed into the ground. You, you nurture it and you wait and something develops out of the ground. Similarly, you put a seed into the womb. You wait, something develops and something comes out. And what comes out? The exact same thing that went in, essentially. Right? It's the same DNA. Exact same DNA. However, oh, if you take bond. a look... Well, obviously. Right. True. But it's... Well, it emerges with a tally and around so it, it grows... Well, Over top of half, right? Okay, but what it is is... What it is is... Yes, it may be the same thing. You know, if you flash back to what happened nine months ago, it's a, it's a unification of two things, but it's a much further developed idea. Um, so I was thinking, this is my thought here, I want to share with you guys tonight here. Uh, I think lightly, and I spoke to Rabbi Cohn, who is the in-house uh, guru in these matters, and he told me, he's like, oh yeah, there's two different kinds of Chesed Mason. And to me, that was like, pfft, my mind was blown. Just oh, he said that. What? So, and, and I think it, it, it's, it's clear here. I think that what it's telling us is as follows. Yes, the idea of reunification of body and soul happens to everyone. You know why? Because they need to be judged. Okay? They need to be judged. However, for tzaddikim, there's an entirely different experience. And that is, it's a certain rebirth, and it's a certain manifestation of the seed that they implanted when they died, so to speak. And that is, well, what goes into the ground? The seed. Well, what's the seed? The seed is what's going to develop. So essentially, the way you lived your life that's going to create the seed that's going to go into the ground and that's what's going to emerge. It's not going to emerge the same seed. It's going to emerge which is a development of that seed, but it's not going to be something entirely different. 
It's going to be that in a developed manner. Thus, your actions, your life choices, your behaviors, your mitzvahs, whatever you do spiritually to contribute to who you are as a human, right, that is the seed that you are preparing for your death, essentially. Now, you put that into the ground when you die. That's what death is. You, you, you're, you're, you're putting it in the ground, and that's what's going to emerge when, you know, during Tchias now, if you didn't invest so much time in your, in your, in, you know, in the, in the higher pursuits, in the spiritual pursuits, in the pursuits like of your soul, <laughs> yeah, you'll, you'll come out because everyone needs to come out, you know. But you're not going to have vitality. You're not going to be this sadikim that we're talking about that's going to come and emerge clothed. That's that that is a, a manifestation of of the wheat, and the wheat has meaning behind it. Um, now, additionally, I think this this is going to. Um, um, Kind of bleed into the question that that uh, that uh, Leonard brought in here. Um, so the revival is that will happen on the ground. Well, I said it's. I don't know if these two will happen at the same time. Rabbi Cohen seemed to have mentioned that they may happen at second times. I I, I don't know. Uh, it's clear that this is true. I, I've studied this the text several times. It's, it's clear that there's. If you actually even look how it's structured in the, on the Talmud, because there's a few pages of Talmud, very big pages. But if you just follow the the um, just the the structure, the format of, of the Talmud, it's clear that it's two separate things. That there's this one discussion that comes that this entire two pages about revival of the dead, and it gives all this imagery and the, like the womb and and the 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 uh, um, the, uh, the wheat and all that, and then it says later on this whole question, this whole debate, this whole dialogue, as like an addendum to this whole discussion. In, and where he brings uh, Antoninus and Rebbe and talks about judgment. It seems clear that this is something entirely different, even though it's the same thing, essentially. But, you know, it might be the same thing, putting the body and soul together, but what exactly is this, what, what exactly is this product that, that's emerging? I want to say a few more important points here uh, to just complete the information to say the idea that I wanted to share. Um, this is all introduction, by the way. We find uh, the Talmud says, and I mentioned this before, it's the first mission that says, if someone says, I don't believe in the Chesimism, I don't believe in resuscitation of the dead from the Torah, he has no portion in Ulamaba. Now, Ulamaba is, is one thing, and Chesimism is another thing, is that right? They're yeah. separate things, the same words, different words, right? So one is reviving the dead, and one is this next world, right? Ostensibly, so I thought. You open up the Talmud, the Talmud asks the question, wait, why, why if someone says, I don't believe in, in revival of the dead, why don't, why don't they get a portion of to come? Good question. It says as follows, He rejected the validity of revival of the dead, therefore, he doesn't get revival of the dead. What do you mean? We're talking about revival of the dead to Olam Abba. What's revival of the dead to revival of the dead? Well, what's the comparison? You really guys have the question? Yeah? Shall I, shall I repeat it? So, yes. Yes. The Talmud, the Mishnah says, what's the law? The law is if someone says, I don't believe in Tchiyat HaMetim, right, they have no portion of the world to come. Olam Abba. Ostensibly, these are separate things. I don't believe in this. I don't believe in X. I don't get Y. Wait, who? The Mishnah. Get in the world. Come? Someone who says, 
that there's no biblical source for revival of the dead. The Talmud asks, why? Why, if someone says, I don't believe that there's a biblical source for revival of the dead, I have no portion of world to come. And the Talmud says, he rejected revival of the dead, therefore, he doesn't get revival of the dead. He's not going to, yeah, he's not going to, so he's, he's not going to be, he's not going to go into the, into the, uh, yes. So what it's telling us essentially is that revival of the dead and Lama Ba are interchangeable terms. Mm. And we know Lama Ba is, some, is a reward. However, if, if revival of the dead is all about just judgment, right, no, so well, it's then not. it's irrespective of reward and punishment. So I, I think to complete the thought is like this, that Olam Haba, this next world is this other world that hopefully we know that as Jews we'll have a portion of the world to come, hopefully, uh, unless we, you know, I guess mess up really badly. Uh, and... We know as well that this is, the Talmud says, this is the Talmud in, in Baruch 17, all about there's no eating, there's no sleeping, uh, there's no intercourse, uh, there's, no, uh, there's no drinking. Uh, it's... <laughs> it's, it's just, that, that always I, rings a joke, right? I, 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 you can. Well, yeah. This is what the Talmud says. There's, there's none of that. We'll all get to the good part. Right? <laughs> uh, and it describes this kind of other existence. Like There's no eating. Wait, wait a minute. But we have a body, right? We just said that you got your, your unification of body and soul. So how could there be no eating? There's no drinking. Uh, there's no no sleep. What does it mean a body not not needing sleep? Like so, what kind of body is emerging here? You know. So I, I think the the, the 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 point now here's the point I want to say, and that is like this: us as humans, and I mentioned this several times, and it's it's a common theme because it's the, one of the core themes in, in all of Jewish thought. Us humans, we have a body and a soul. Who's dominant? Right? Who's the host? And who is just there? Our body is dominant. We're always body first, soul second. I'll give you an example. If you say, I'm not drinking water for seven days, someone locks you in a room, and you'll die. Because your body needs water, and your body is dominant. If you say, I'm not going to study Torah for seven days, what's going to happen to you? Nothing. You're essentially robbing your soul of the vital nutrients that it needs to survive. But because the soul is of secondary importance to us in our Come current on. configuration, go ahead. Question. Your body will die after seven days with no water. Yeah. Your soul isn't going to die after seven days? No, that's why no. body is first, soul is because second. Because our body is what keeps us alive in this world. It's, it's of first importance. It is the soul. Right? It ha- yes, but the soul is of much less significance, at least to us. In our paradigm. It's just your so what if I chose not to eat, not to drink water for right. seven days and I died? Yes, then, then that, you're... Bad, you're that's, that's, that's a bad thing. It's you're terrible to judge you're 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 just, This is the design. Water for seven days and not drink water. No, that's you have design. to take care. You yeah, because in this world, in this world... Regardless, so almost regardless, in this, in this world, <laughs> you cannot neglect your body. But, but I'm just saying, it has more needs. Go ahead. Yes. Water and food. You know. Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> you guys a little louder. Dennis, Dennis, your brother's asking a question. Sorry, you brought the conversation up. What kind of a body is it going to be? Yes. Uh, one sleep, one eat. No, no need for food, which. This physical body, so it's not going to be exactly the same body. So, so let me finish my point. In this therefore, world, let me finish. Yes, go ahead. Therefore, that body was already in. Uh, okay, is going to be walking on this earth, 
the new body? No. I don't or know. Or it's going to be somewhere else. Uh, let's assume it's this earth. Go ahead. And back to Cleopatra question, it answers it itself. Are we going to be female and male? Or is it going to be just us? Just something. Okay, but these are all questions that... that I, uh, let me finish my point and then we'll see if the question still okay. exists, okay? In this current configuration of us uh, as humans, we have a body and soul. The body is dominant. The body is a host. The body is in charge. Our souls, we have a soul. If you don't have a soul, you're dead. But our soul is, you don't, we don't feel it. It's not, it's not first kind of thing. Uh, it's, it's something that we have. That's not who we are. Now, in our next world, it's going to be the opposite. Yes, we'll have a body. right? But it's of such minor significance, you could just like in this world, if someone neglects their soul, they could still live. Right? You know, you, you, someone studies, doesn't study Torah. You look at the at those magazines that you have there, right? The men's fitness. Those people don't study Torah. <laughs> <laughs> they're, they're, out, right there. they're alive, right? They're alive. You know hey, why? Because in this world, maybe yes. Um, in this world, it's it's a body centric world. We have a soul, of course. A body thoughts are what a human means, but it's that's what it's about. In the next world, it's the exact opposite. Your soul is what you have, right? You have a body as well because you're a human. However, you don't need to eat, you don't need to drink, you don't need to sleep. None of that. It, it, just like we don't need to attend to the agenda of our soul to the, now to alive. It's reversed. Yeah. Thus, the seed that we put into the ground. What's the seed that we put into the ground? Body. It's, well, yes, it's the body, of course. <laughs> but it, it, it's our life work, our life's work. That's who we are. And the more we live our life as people who are dedicated to the agenda of the soul who focus on the uh, responsibilities, so to speak, of the soul, or the, 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 the priorities and the values of our soul, when we do that, well, then that's what emerges. This, a soul-centric kind of reality. If it's just about our body, well, then in a world where all, the soul is all that matters, right? then you, all, you don't have that. And then what do you have? You just have a body and soul put together and that's it. That, that's, not, that's not Olam Abba. Olam Abba is, the, is this world where the, 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 the design, the, the, the preeminent or uh, perfect design of body and soul is, is soul entirely dominant and body just there. And that is what will, uh, that, that is how the relationship kind of coincides. Wherein the, the body uh, is just there. The soul is who we are. And what we put into the ground is how we live in this world will be reflected in how we will emerge in the next world. Thus, when the Torah tells us, focus on your soul, focus on your soul, focus on your soul, focus on your soul, again and again and again, and neglect your body, and withhold from your body, and say no to your body, and try to unshackle yourself from the body, what it's trying to do is prepare us for the most important thing that we'll ever do in our lives, and that is Show up with our investments. What, what do we have? What have we emerged from this whole experience? If we just think about our body, then that's all we worry about. Well, that's all we got. That's what we put into the ground. That's what emerges afterwards, you know, when all is said and done. You know? And then uh, you're not equipped at all. At your retirement, you're going to get it the gold watch or they're going to give you the rubber ring. Now, the rubber ring. I want, I want, I want, I want, I want, from your body. Huh? What do you withhold from your body? Well, that's what, what does the Torah tell us? You look, open the book that's under your elbow and you'll see 365 <laughs> different categories of withholding your body. And that is training us to be someone who can live in this world where the body is of minor significance. Now, what's interestingly is that we're told is that this body is formed out of earth. Not out of water, out of earth. 
And I asked you guys over here, who else was formed out of, out of earth? You said Adam. Adam. If you read about Adam prior to the sin, you get, an, you get an insight into what it's like to be soul first and body second. Where the, the body is of less significance. And you read any of the sources. Go to the sources and read about Adam. Pre-sin. Adam is like someone who lived, you know, they had a body, yes. But like you said, he didn't notice he was naked. How do you not notice you're naked? How do you not notice it? You Can you imagine? Because it, it's it's just like you don't notice. You know, we don't notice right now that our soul is 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 desiring some mitzvah. We have no idea. It's craving a mitzvah. You know what mitzvah your soul's craving? I don't know. Right? You you don't know. Well, how do you not know? You, you, this is this is. There's 613 of them. How can you possibly not know? What you're, that's why we're here. We're guessing. Maybe yes. Maybe no. But imagine I woke up in the middle of the night and say, "What are you? What are you craving?" What soul you probably punch me in the face, right? Right? I call up at work. You're like, what mitzvah is your soul right now craving? You you probably won't have any idea. You have no idea. Well, Adam is like, how how could he possibly notice the fact that he was naked? Mm-hmm. To us, you know, we see things from the opposite vantage point. It doesn't make any sense. Like, oh, dude, you're naked, right? Get some pants on, right? <laughs> of course. And and Adam, once he's sinned, he's like, dude, I'm naked. He's hiding. Oh, who told you you're naked, says God. Ah, you sinned. Oh, now you're a different kind of human. Suddenly your body is now important, so don't you notice that. You know, well, you're mm-hmm. human. That's right. Um, well, how? I like that. Uh, Children now, do not know they're naked, do they? Who? Children. That's a good point. When I have a son, he likes to get naked. He doesn't know he's naked. He's That's not ashamed point. of himself. Uh, either way, guys, I, I have to leave. <laughs> I, I apologize. I have a baby, so I told him you there. Uh, at, at, see at how it is. We started asking the hard um, questions, and he's out. Thank you very much. For God willing, next time <laughs> we will follow up with this. I'm not going to run away from you, but you have to come back now. I'm going <laughs> to make a list next time. You know that, right?